0: Welcome to the Natural Solutions Podcast. I am Maya, your host, and this is episode three. I want to welcome you to 2022, where I am taking the chance to invest in my podcast. In today's podcast, I am being interviewed in an Ask Me Anything with Nick Conduros from BasisHealth.io, which is a new technology that's going to be coming out very soon to help you track your health and your wellness. Now, in this episode, we talk about ways that we can manage anxiety naturally with food. We go into a little bit of my story and into Nick's story. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you will start following um, on a weekly basis. Thank you.
1: Okay. Hi, Maya.
0: Hi, how are you? Thank
1: you so much for making the time to talk to us. I'm very good. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm just blowing out a lot of snot after COVID, but I'm doing good.
1: (laughs) Wow. Um, How how was that? Um, Did you have any serious side effects from it?
0: Um, I didn't have serious side effects. I had Omicron, so it was more like having a flu. Um, But there are people complaining of upper respiratory issues and then, you know, fatigue. Um, For me, it took like a good 10 days to feel normal again. But now it just feels like a cold that you're trying to expel. So it's okay.
1: (laughs) Very good. Mm. Yeah. So, um, again, thanks for making the time to talk to me today. Um, so uh, the first question I'd like to ask is what you do for a living and what's, what's, what's the reason? So what helped you decide to follow this path?
0: Well, um, I've always kind of been interested in nutrition and I kind of didn't really realize it as something that I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I kind of came late to the game. I'm already 40. And by the time I started transitioning to study nutrition, I was 35. Um, But I was a dancer and then I was a runner and I was training women to run. And at that time when I started a running group for women, it was because I had two little children at home who were only like 17 months apart. And I was already running and I thought, oh, now I've got to take them with me because I can't just leave them unless, you know, we take turns. Uh, staying with the kids and so I ended up buying a jogging stroller and then a double jogging stroller and bringing with my kids with me running then in 2014 one of my uh running ladies uh, was doing the whole 30 maybe you've heard of it and no no okay no. okay so the whole 30 was um created by Melissa Hartwig and her husband at, at the time that was basically like a gigantic elimination diet, which was eliminating beans, grains, refined oils, um, dairy, and, and even uh, sugars. So it was kind of extreme, but she had lost a lot of weight on it after having a baby. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting to try because I've never done a huge elimination diet. And so I did it for a month and I lost like five pounds, like two and a half kilos, but I didn't really need to lose weight or anything, but I did it. And it was probably just, you know, water, the weight and retention. Um, So that was kind of interesting. So that was kind of my first introduction to a more restrictive diet for 30 days. And um, my kids were little, so they were like one and two. And um, by the time I was going through this in 2014, my second youngest um, was already diagnosed with autism. So that was kind of one of the reasons why I started looking a lot into nutrition and then into genetics and then into nutrigenomics and all of these things to see, you know, did I give him autism? Was it the stress that I was going through in my pregnancy? Um, What was it? And so that's when the digging started. So um, I decided to just do like a certification in fitness nutrition. And then from there, I did a certification in health coaching. And then from there, I went and studied with Functional Medicine University. And I studied functional medicine because it was really interesting to me to kind of figure out, you know, what are the root causes? What are all the things contributing to my son's autism? Or what are the things that have contributed to a lot of anxiety that I've dealt with in my life? So it was kind of a a deep dive into things that were new for me, but at the same time, super interesting and have opened my eyes to a whole new world not just food but looking at a person as a whole you know and I think that doctors try to do that as much as they can even though they might specialize in a specific organ um yeah so it kind of started there and ever since then I am still studying I'm studying to be a naturopath and I'm already certified in herbal medicine and I'm working on my master's in sports nutrition right now too so it's kind of never-ending yet but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the short so or the long make. short of it, or the short long of it.
1: <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's what you're doing is truly amazing. I mean, just the fact that you're so interested to see what can contribute into specific life factors is just uh, wow. Uh, can you tell us more about it? What are some learnings you had?
0: Um, yeah, so. <clears throat> One of the things that I found that was really interesting is that a lot of times we're quite specific um, about how we treat a person. And when we put a person on a specific diet or eliminate certain foods, it can contribute in part to their health and well being. But there's so many other things to to consider. And um, I think that emotions and stress are probably even more of a contributing factor that lead people to make decisions around habits, you know, around food, around exercise, around sleep. And so one of the biggest insights I got was learning that all of these pieces fit together. It's not just one thing. And another thing I learned too, is that by studying my genome and having genetic testing done was that Yes, there are underlying things that make you have more tendencies for, for example, anxiety, um, or Mm -hmm. more tendencies um, for addiction, uh, more tendencies for um, obesity. So there, you know, and so there's genetic expression after that. And the genetic expression comes with our habits, and that's I that's one of the things that I'm continuously seeing and learning that our habits are going to dictate how our genes express themselves in in different situations and and when I talk about habits, I'm not just talking about the food you eat and the movement you do, but even the emotions that you have connected um, to your way of seeing the world and how you respond to it so I guess globally that's what i've i've seen
1: yeah definitely i mean one thing that i've personally learned in the military is that making your your bed first thing in the morning has a much bigger contribution than the thing it does just because you know it's a small task it's an easy task but it's a task successfully achieved in the beginning of your day right so um to actually reach bigger goals, you actually have to first build towards them by success, successfully um, deploying smaller habits so wow totally it's interesting
0: like it 's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I think that 's what the pe- what people on social media and people just in general in our lives don 't see, and they think that you got to a result because you did some kind of a radical diet. Um, when in essence, you just changed small habits to get an end result.
1: Right, so. yes. Yeah, totally get that. And so, the last time you spoke, you had this amazing vision. Uh, and I'd like for you to share it with, with everyone else that's uh, listening here. I mean, I was very intrigued with that.
0: So my vision... Um, <laughs> Well, I guess I'm not the only one. There's so many people out there that are trying to help um, their, their local influence, their communities around them make better decisions. And one of the things that I've been trying to do over the past five years is kind of build a bridge between people who are, who are seeking help using natural interventions in conjunction with what they're already doing medically so that there's no division between doctor and patient, but there's somebody that can help them be a little bit more educated and ask their doctor certain questions and even just kind of have someone to speak to them more in depth about their situation um, where there's some kind of empathy. So I've been trying to, yeah, you understand. So it's like trying to build that bridge and, and be an advocate for those people who don't feel heard or feel a bit confused, and they just need some more clarity in whatever they're seeking for, to better their wellness.
1: Especially now, right? I mean, <laughs> we've, we've, we've been living in uh, some crazy times. It's a, a lot harder to communicate our feelings or see the people we love. So I think that's very, very important. Even my personal story, uh, hmm. having to go through some health struggles alone, doing it alone was actually the hardest part of it all. Hmm. So having someone, having surrounding yourself in, around people that have the same goals as you do, social, social nudges, as we call them, they're very important to um, upgrading or even optimizing ourselves.
0: Right, and you're right about this situation. We've lost a lot of that social contact, so that's one of the reasons why we're even online right now, right? Um, or that we have the ability to be online to make social connections, even if it's not face-to-face. So um, that's completely contributed to the distancing we feel and the lack of support that we feel when we're trying to make some kind of objective change.
1: So um, one thing I found pretty difficult to manage is eating healthily throughout um, a lockdown. Oh, so the, the, the limited capacity of me being able to go to a uh, grocery store, or even just laziness, uh, okay. which is a big part of it. So, how how do you think um, anyone can, you know, be able to live and eat healthily throughout uh, the pandemic?
0: <laughs> so, one of the things that I, I did a lot. And most of us probably did was shopping online or going to the supermarket with your mask and following all the regulations and that kind of stuff. Um, but honestly, I didn't change my eating habits. I stuck to the same basic things that I would normally do. But one thing that I felt that really helped to maintain like easy access to food and cooking was actually canned or jarred goods and frozen stuff. So like these non-perishable items I found really easy to put together with also fresh produce, like fruits and vegetables. So I I've, I even, I remember during that time I created um like a healthy snack book and um, I think it was one pot meals or one pan meals or something like that for people to make during the time with um, non-perishable food items. And so I I felt that by keeping my breakfast the same not changing it even if it's a less nutritious breakfast um, or adding some kind of like savory protein to my breakfast um was one thing that i could control like every single day oh so that would be like my first meal of the day and then another thing that i felt was easier was when i was cooking lunch or dinner because the kids were home all the time um, was making these big pots of stews or, or or something in a frying pan. I mean, eggs and just throwing together a bunch of stuff. And literally, I don't really follow recipes very well because I like to invent things on the spot. So it was just about throwing a bunch of fresh and frozen vegetables together, throwing some kind of a protein in there and cooking it. Um, and then for snacks, one of the things that I felt really um, was easy was like, okay, if you really love this specific, less nutritious food, um, like it could be chocolate or cookies or whatever it is, always have it available, but put it in a place where you're not going to really remember that it's, it is. (laughs) And that actually really worked. So either it was up higher or it was on another floor where I wouldn't really have access to it. And I would go there Mm -hmm. every day or when I felt like I want something sweet or whatever, and just have a bit of it. So I never restricted myself during the pandemic, but I gave myself the opportunity to have those things, except I just made it harder to get to. So, yeah, exactly. And then with exercise, I don't know if you felt this, but I mean, I remember seeing people running on their balconies like they would be running back and forth on their balconies or if they had a backyard, they'd be running in their backyard. Or if you could sneak out, you could go and walk in the forest somewhere. Um, so as a family, we did a lot of walks together in this area because we live right by the, by the mountains and not too far from the ocean. So we were very lucky in that respect, but I bought a treadmill and I started running inside. I already biked a lot. So I put my bike on the trainer. Um, and I was lifting weights inside, so I just, and I had already had weights at home. So I built myself a little gym, um, nothing fancy, but I, I just tried to adapt with what I had available and not stress out too much about it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I, I understand. I mean, uh, in in my situation, I always thought that you know, I'm, you need a gym to work out, hmm. or in my in my <clears throat> in my case, at least a tennis court since I've always played tennis. But yeah. um, there's so so much content out there that you can just follow for free, including you know a ten minute high intensity. Uh, <laughs> interval training session right so oh yeah like that it's just 10 minutes and that's how i i came out of the loop from doing nothing literally not even walking so a very very sedentary lifestyle to actually saying okay today i'm gonna do 50 push-ups or 10 push-ups in, mm-hmm. in, in, in that matter and then slowly slowly build on top of it so it's what we were saying before it's these atomic habits that you, you can build on power. Um,
0: um. So I, I just, I have a question for you, actually. <laughs> um, sure. It was all about implementing a small plan, wasn't it?
1: Correct, yes.
0: Okay, but it wasn't yeah. going from zero to 100 overnight.
1: It was zero to one. It was always one extra little step. And that's that's what made it easy. I could say. I mean, uh, it's very easy to spend 20 seconds or 30 seconds to do 10 push-ups, and then after a few hours, do another 10. And then it's just, it's, it's just you know your mind telling you, yeah, it's possible. Let's do a bit more. Let's do a bit more, and then you build this momentum, and then you avoid the cookies for the reason that they're too high or too low. And I so, said, yeah, I'll, I'll just do a one-time meal because I've already exercised today. I want to live on top of that. So as we were talking about um, eating healthy throughout the, the pandemic, we've also addressed a bit of more anxiety and stress throughout these days. So how, how does food help us manage the stress and anxiety we might be going through
0: well so the first the first thing that most people um maybe aren't aware of and maybe they are i really don't know and this is something that i became more aware of um when i was first starting to address my own anxiety and that was about oh geez maybe six seven years ago um and and i'm still working on it all the time is that you have two mechanisms in your body, right? You've got the sympathetic and you have the parasympathetic nervous system. And when you think of sympathetic, you think of the word nice, but it totally doesn't mean that it's actually the opposite. The sympathetic nervous system in your body is fight and flight. So, you know, if you're under some kind of perceived threat, are you going to fight off you know, the lion or are you going to run away? And then there's the other part of the nervous system that tries to bring us back to balance after we've been exposed to a trigger, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and it tells you that you're safe. So understanding that, first of all, um, makes it a lot easier for us to realize that a lot of the responses that we have are actually physiological and sure they can be triggered by emotion or triggered by external environment or whatever, but there's a physiological response and the trigger that tells you to run is that hormone that we always talk about cortisol because, you know, I've got high stress, so I must have high high cortisol. Well, it's not a bad hormone. Um, And as a corticoid it, it, Yes, it, it runs to activate that response, you know, so that you can get away. But your body automatically is going to prioritize what needs to be done. So that's why it triggers that response. And then once you, your body has perceived that, okay, you're not under threat, then it's going to balance it out and then kick in the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, the cool thing is, is that it's actually connected to your digestion, yeah, so a lot of people um, might, might not know that. Some of them might. Um, and when you have symptoms of, say, like irritable bowel syndrome or any kind of digestive issue or acid reflux, these things are going to be triggered also by the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So there is always a part of um, digestive issues that is connected to stress and anxiety. Um, and it's there to protect you. But one of the problems that we have, unfortunately, is that you get stuck in the sympathetic nervous system and you maintain higher levels of cortisol. So then it's really hard for the um, counteracting hormones to bring down that response. And people then have manifestations of insomnia or chronic anxiety and they're not too sure why. Cause they're like, oh, but I'm not stressed. Nothing has made me stressed. My job is fine. My family's fine, but I still feel stressed and I don't know why. So it has a lot hmm. to do with um, this, this cortisol response and other uh, hormones and neurotransmitters that want to counterbalance it being kind of stuck on a loop. Um, so this whole, this whole process is called your HPA access. I'm sure you've heard of it before, but it triggers uh, organs in your brain that will then speak to your adrenal glands. That will, uh, and so your adrenal glands are the thing that um, create cortisol and other uh, steroid hormones that will um, work on a negative feedback loop to tell you when to stop being stressed and when to be stressed. Okay. And when that loop has, let's say, miscommunication or there's something in stopping it from communicating properly, then you're either going to produce too much cortisol or too little cortisol. So that that can happen, too. But it's this feedback loop that sometimes gets interrupted. Um, and <clears throat> that's when we get these responses of could be depression, it could be anxiety. Um, but usually some kind of yeah. emotional distress and then the physical, the physical appearance of it. So that's basically it.
1: I, I, I can resonate with that since mm. uh, there was a period in my life where I felt that like I was <coughs> restricted from fast food for a long time. I was mm. in a very strict diet and I felt like I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I, it was just not me. So... I started eating a lot of bad food, junk food, uh, sodas, uh, especially soft drinks. Um, I I love uh, uh, Coca-Cola Zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, aside the the very bad deficiencies it can um, produce, but I felt anxious all the time. And yes, everything else was was pretty fine. I mean, there wasn't anything radical going on, but it was this eating late so eating um late at night so before going to sleep i would i would eat myself to sleep if it Mm -hmm. makes sense and i would do it with all the the wrong foods and then i would wake up in the middle of the night uh, like sweating and feeling completely completely bad with myself so i mean what are what are the foods and what are the effects of these foods uh on our body and what what can we do to prevent this from happening? So this negative feed loop, Mm. how can we um, limit the effects and actually get back into feeling good by eating well, I guess?
0: So let me ask you a question. Um, When you were aware that you were doing that at night, um, was there something Mm. that shifted or some kind of habit that shifted where you, you maybe chose other foods or didn't eat so late or didn't eat yourself to sleep?
1: I started doing intermittent fasting and I've been doing it ever since and that helped me so much. Also cold therapy because Mm -hmm. cold therapy actually produces anti-inflammatory effects Mm or with the parasympathetic nervous system also. um,
0: Yeah the cold shock right? Yeah yeah.
1: Correct and also breathing techniques so I implemented these in my in in my lifestyle for over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely say that they've, they've helped me tremendously.
0: Okay. So in the absence of food, your Mm -hmm. blood glucose, right? Your sugar, blood sugar won't go up. Will it?
1: Yeah. Because you deplete glycogen from, yeah. I mean, it's normal.
0: Sure. Um, Well, you might, you still have glycogen in your liver and in your muscles, depending if you did like a crazy workout. But um yeah, but there's no there's no blood sugar spiking or anything like that. Unless all of a sudden you start running really quickly, you know, out of nowhere. So in the absence of food, your blood sugars are pretty stable. So intermittent fasting is a great tool, um, or just not eating too late before you go to bed is a great tool to regulate blood sugar. So um one thing that's interesting is that um When you eat a food, depending if it has carbohydrates in it, um, your blood sugar goes up. And another thing that happens too is actually that your cortisol is increasing. So um, you have normal blood sugar and cortisol rhythms during the day. They all function on internal rhythms, um, especially cortisol and even melatonin, like when you're going to sleep. So it's natural that your blood sugar will go up in the morning also because cortisol is rising because it's gonna wake you up. Mm-hmm. And when you expose yourself to foods that are pretty high in carbohydrates, whether it's um, you know like a simple sugar or even if it's fruit or vegetables, you're still gonna have a, a glucose response. The cool thing is though that when you eat a more complex carbohydrate, you know, you have fiber, so it slows down the absorption and it slows down the rise of blood glucose. But technically speaking, when blood sugar goes up, cortisol also rises and then insulin tries really hard, you know, to push it back down to homeostasis because your body's always trying to achieve homeostasis, always. Um, So that's kind of the mechanism behind it. And how, when, maybe you've experienced this, you just binge on something you really love (laughs) that's either high sugar or high fat or high salt. Um, But then afterwards, or maybe if you've just eaten a big meal, you can't move. (laughs) You're like in a food coma.
1: Yes, quite. That's that's exactly why I wanted to also eat myself to sleep. Mm -hmm. If it makes sense. Oh yeah. Because I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep otherwise. So it was this negative loop happening over and over again of not being able to sleep because I was so stressed. So I thought the only solution to to fix it was to eat so much I couldn't move anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the first thing the first thing um, anyone will tell you is that when you eat a, a carb-heavy meal mm-hmm. or something that is going to uh, spike your blood sugar mm-hmm. is take a, a brisk walk for a few minutes. Mm. I mean, I, I, started, I started tracking my glucose after realizing, I mean, the, the whole story of me being able to uh, get out of depression and obesity was I started health tracking, including cool. starting to realize how every food impacted my glucose. Um, I remember I ate a pizza once and my blood glucose spiked for three hours, wouldn't go down. nothing and and I was like is this what I'm doing to my body after eating a pizza wow and it's just realizing how how bad (laughs) some foods are for you then it's the only way to stop eating
0: sure so it's kind of a dose it's also a dosage response to right you know like how much did you eat um did you eat other things with it oh are you still there um, yeah, I think the yeah. So, yeah, so the dosage is always the problem. But here's something interesting that I, I think maybe we haven't considered even before we touch on, you know, what foods um, might be good or bad for you. We have four different um, steps to a habit. And the first one is the cue, so that trigger I was talking about. And then it's the craving, and this doesn't have to be with food, it can be anything because you could be craving attention okay and then it's the response to that thing that we need, and then there's the reward so when we when we look at this this feedback loop we're we're basically running um, through every moment of our lives using this cue craving response reward and Okay, so basically um, it, there's always a dose response, so it depends how much of a food you eat, right? If you overeat anything, you're going to feel full, you're going to feel um, disgusting, you know, like you want to vomit. So, <laughs> so dose the dose is always the poison, but when we talk about foods that can help us regulate anxiety and stress, we have to take a look also at um, neurotransmitters, and those are basically just little chemical messengers that communicate between our gut and our brain. And so maybe you've heard of foods um, that are high in serotonin or high in GABA. So they make you feel good or they make you feel calm or you've heard of dopamine and that's you know the pleasure reward system. But actually all of these neurotransmitters work together um, to balance each other out. So when one thing is activated, the counter neurotransmitter will try to bring it back down or, or trigger it. to so either make it go up or make it go down, but foods that I know for sure that help regulate anxiety are foods that are basically just high in fiber. And when we think of fiber, maybe we, we go back to thinking, Oh yeah, breakfast cereal or, um, like Weetabix, something like that. But the the foods that are highest in fiber are usually plant foods. Well, yes, they are plant foods. So, you know, beans, avocados, any kind of pumpkin or squash, greens, uh, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower, um, and, and fruits, uh, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, all these things are high in fiber. So when you're consuming the the five a day that you should be consuming, which is three to five servings of fruit and, and vegetables, especially vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, these will actually help regulate um, these stress responses that we have in in our in our food. Now, two in particular that I think are really great is uh, GABA and serotonin. And um, also acetylcholine, which is another neurotransmitter. So GABA is really high. This, this GABA is a calming neurotransmitter. It's really high in cruciferous vegetables and beans and tomatoes, uh, mushrooms, and, and some grains too. And then acetylcholine um, also works on the, the parasympathetic nervous system, so the one that makes you rest. And, and slow down it slows down your heart rate and it helps you with um, digestion so it's it's high in most plant foods, so sticking to plant foods and some fruit too, uh, some oranges and strawberries also have acetylcholine and then serotonin serotonin makes you feel good, so um, fruit is pretty high in serotonin, bananas, uh, pineapples, again, strawberries and then other vegetables too. Um, so I want to say focusing on plants and fruit is not a bad thing. It's actually very good. Um, some people have a hard time tolerating, um, other types of plants and digestion and, and sometimes fruit, but, um, overall, we, we should be consuming plant foods. Um, and then uh, we can't negate you know the other food groups. Of course, protein is super important, whether it's an animal protein or a plant protein. But um, to contribute to healthy communication between your brain and your gut, we really do need to be eating foods that have fiber so that's, that's basically it.
1: Well, any specific uh, foods that uh, other than uh, the beans and broccoli that you mentioned that um, you'd like to share with, uh, with the public? Or maybe uh, you've said before that you have a, a, some kind of a snack book or a cookbook that uh, you'd like, like to give access to?
0: Oh, yeah. I can actually give you a link um, to it so they can download it. So it's um, I, there's, there's two things that we need to consider here. And the first thing is that we need to be consuming all of the macronutrients that are available to us. So that means carbohydrates, that means fat, and that means protein. And then fiber is just a given because you're getting it from fruit and vegetables. Um, and so for snacks that I find that are really helpful are usually... Um, pretty balanced between protein and carbohydrates and then have some fat um, regulated or regulated some fat in them too. So one thing that I really love um, that you you might enjoy if you're not a vegetarian or a vegan, or maybe if you are a vegetarian, is um, egg muffins. So it's really easy just to chop up some vegetables um, that you might enjoy or maybe vegetables you haven't tried yet because you're not you're not too sure you know because there's people who really don't like vegetables but chopping them up and um maybe uh, just putting a little bit of salt and pepper and other spices you like on them and then putting them in a muffin tin with egg that's beaten up and baking them in the oven is a really great snack um because also eggs have um choline um, and that is also part of the one of the neurotransmitters I was talking about which is acetylcholine um, so I find that that's a that's a good snack to have.
1: Awesome all right okay um, yeah I mean uh, that, that's great one, one last thing I wanted to ask mm. is we, we've, we've touched up on the subject of you know, you being um, an early mom and everything that you ate or your habits in general gave you <clears throat> this um, this feeling that you were doing something wrong. What would you suggest to early moms or with their eating habits or whatnot, so to be healthier and happier altogether?
0: Um, That's a good question. I would say we we need to build on the habits that we already have and um, not restrict because I think what you said earlier about the restriction, feeling restricted doesn't really help. So um, the most important meal of the day is your first meal of the day. And that could be at seven in the morning or that could be at 12 uh, lunchtime, right? So mm-hmm. having consistency with your first meal of the day where you don't really have to be overly creative with it and stick to something simple, I would say is the first way to go because that's going to set you up for the rest of your day. So as you had mentioned, you know, in the army making your bed is really important and that that's for anybody, you know, get your environment organized. Um, even as Jordan Peterson says, he says, you know, get organized. <laughs> so, and take responsibility for your life so if you can um start your day with a good breakfast even even i'm i know this is going to sound horrible but even if that's a bowl of cereal for you and that's what you can handle um okay but you could even just like throw some protein powder in there or have a hard-boiled egg on the side um or um, trying to think of other proteins, or you can chop up a protein bar and stick it inside your cereal, something just to kind of upgrade it. So always thinking about ways that are simple that you can upgrade your first meal of the day will help you um, especially get your blood sugars balanced. So that would be, I, I think, probably the easiest place to start. And as soon as you get up, to have, you know, your coffee or your tea in the morning, if that's something you do, always drink water first. So um, I I think those two things would be important. Have water as soon as you get up in the morning uh, before you have any other kind of a drink and try to upgrade your first meal of the day with a bit of protein um, to make sure that we're getting a good blood glucose response. Yeah, so that's, that's
1: amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you so much, Maya. Thank you for your time.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. No problem. Thank you so much for listening to the Natural Solutions Podcast. Just as we mentioned in this episode, you can actually go to my website and download one of my resources, which is a high-protein snack book. So you can do that at www.healthcoachmaya.com. And Maya is spelled M-A-Y-A. See you again for our next podcast.